0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Look, we all know from experience, compliance sucks. But what if I told you that there is a better way? our good friends at ByteCheck developed the first-ever managed service for SOC 2. Leverage the innovative ByteCheck platform and a combined experience of over 30 years from the ByteCheck team to complete your SOC 2 examination faster without the headache. The ByteCheck team works as an extension of your team to prepare evidence, draft SOC 2 report sections, and provide all the necessary artifacts Your team to then provide to auditors. Reach out to the Bitecheck team by dropping down into the show notes and visiting Bitecheck.com. Welcome back. To the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. In this episode, we have a good, good friend of ours and also a mastermind member, Alexis Robertson. She is an incredible professional focused on diversity. But in this episode, we're going to talk about what allows her to be super functional and productive. It's all about the diet and all about the exercise. Let's jump right to this exciting episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris.
1: Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again with a friend, with a mastermind member of our Patreon. Today in the studio, we have Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at a large law firm, at a large law firm and a recovering lawyer. I'm excited to hear more about that. But Alexis, it's always great to talk, chat, and learn about all the great things that you're doing. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be here. This is exciting.
0: The honor is all ours. We are super excited to have this chat. We've been talking to you for about a year now, getting to know you. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today.
2: Yeah, it's been almost a year, which is crazy. I'm sure we'll get into how we met, which is a little bit, you know, serendipitous. We'll we'll talk about that. But yes, I am director of diversity inclusion at a large law firm, like top 50 law firm for those in the legal world, but spent the first 10 years or so of my career dedicated to law as in going to law school, then practicing as a lawyer for about seven and a half years before leaving legal practice, closing it on six years ago. I grew up in the suburbs of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, spent most of my life in the Midwest, except for time spent in DC at American University um, for undergrad. And then I went to the University of Michigan for law school. And I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch of other stuff that will close some of the gaps I'm intentionally leaving for now. (laughs) But uh, that's me in a nutshell.
1: Amazing. You know, I feel like we were just always friends. Like I, I was just thinking before the podcast, like, how do I know Alexis again? I know I know you from the mastermind, but it, right. like you were saying, is very serendipitous. Like you were kind of just part of the circle magically. How did you meet Chris? Like, how was that?
2: Well, all through the miracle of LinkedIn, so I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So those who listen find me on there, Alexis Robertson. But I started this podcast for my my law firm. It's called The Path in the Practice, and it was around this time last year I'd gotten the green light to start a, a podcast, which is a big deal in the law firm world. For those who don't know, and when my boss was like, "Yeah, go ahead and do that," I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and even though I'm an avid podcast listener, I didn't have the thinnest idea how to start one. So uh, I knew a couple of people who had podcasts. I knew them th- through LinkedIn and a mutual connection connected me to Chris. She was like, I have these friends or I have this friend. He has a <laughs> top podcast on iTunes. And I bet he would tell you how to start one. And I was like, okay. And then two days later, I found myself on a Zoom call with Chris. He told me everything I needed to know about basic equipment and you know people that could produce or put together the show. And then he was like, Oh, I, if you, you know, you want to join our, our mastermind. And I would literally never listened to Hacker Valley.
0: <laughs>
2: and, and when someone invites you to join a cybersecurity mastermind group, even though you don't know anything about cybersecurity, <laughs> you say yes. And I think it was even the same day, Chris, if it wasn't the same day, it was like the next day. I think you're like, we're meeting tomorrow. And I yeah, I was like, it was all, like right, the next all right, day. and the rest is history. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And you know what, you've hung in there with us. You know, even when people start talking technical and things like that on the mastermind, you sit and you listen, and you always have the best advice for people. You know, Marco, I think the sole reason Marco continues to come is just for all the advice that you give him and kind of help balance him out, you know, and I think that's so incredible. When did all of this self-improvement stuff really begin for you? Because it seems like your your life is so dialed in from food to fitness to mindfulness to your career, to your family. Everything seems so dialed in. Is that something that's always been a part of your your personality, always a part of who you were as a person? And tell us a story when that really began.
2: Ooh, let's see. That's a big question. And thank you for that compliment, I think, although I'm still very much <laughs> a work in progress. I guess for me when it comes to focusing on well-being and personal development a lot of it started happening after I had my first child. So my, my oldest son just turned 10. And it's funny, I'm just I'm trying to think back cuz there's not really like a pretty way to explain all of it and tie it up with a bow. But for me, you know like I said I was a lawyer, I went to law school. I used to work a lot as an associate in a large law firm. And when the second or the first child came, so I have two boys, the first child came, I remember I just couldn't figure out how to do everything. And by the way, I'm somebody who naturally gives myself a bit more of a pass than most. So even me on 10 is maybe somebody else's like six, if that makes sense. <laughs> so like I can, I can turn it on, but I don't tend to have the as much negative self-talk as I think is the default setting as of many people, but associated with having my child, I I realized I had all these like health issues I didn't know about. I'd been a vegetarian for 15 years. When I went on that, you know, having a baby journey, I discovered I had a lot of hormonal imbalances, which for me personally were due to that decade and a half of being an unhealthy vegetarian, like a pizza and French fries vegetarian, you know, a cheese pizza and French fries vegetarian that for some people could be totally fine. But for me, it really messed with my chemistry. And I ended up going on this journey to, you know, regain or to get hormonal balance and a lot of it for me ended up taking me toward the path of food which and I I happened to run across Mark Sisson for those who are familiar with the primal diet just yeah. that kind of ancestral health paleo movement. Um, Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf, to me, are sort of like the grandfathers of that in some (laughs) ways. I mean, there's some other people in there too. There's like Weston Price and Atkins and those guys too. But I learned that I needed to radically change how I ate. And so after having my first child, I did. I stopped being a vegetarian. I was vegetarian for that whole pregnancy. And when shortly after he arrived, maybe six or eight months, I was like, oh, I probably need to change everything that I've been doing. And so I went on a pretty low carb you know, I started eating meat again after 15 years. I ate a lot more vegetables. I ate a lot more fat, and I and I felt a lot better. And then about two years later, I had my second son. And that was even more of kind of like a, like a truck had hit me (laughs) because that second kid comes and that's no joke. I know Chris, you know how it is when you have more than one to deal with. For sure. And after that, I'd say about a year after having my, my second son, I discovered the whole 30, which is a 30 day, very dialed in ancestral elimination diet, essentially. And it was this major unlock for me because I realized it wasn't a matter of, oh, I'm so busy because of my family, because of my job, I don't have time to take care of myself. It turned into, oh, if I want to have any time and energy for my job and my family and, and everything else, I have to take care of myself. And I discovered that by eating pretty clean, I actually had energy because for a long time, particularly with that second kid, and don't get me wrong, this is normal for that stage in your life to some extent, but I would get home and I was done. It was like get through dinner, get through kid bedtime, get to sit on the couch and just probably fall asleep on the couch at like seven thirty, mm-hmm. right? Until I dragged myself to bed. And when I particularly did that first whole thirty, maybe two three weeks in, I would look down and be seven thirty, and I was like, I'm still awake, and I feel I feel pretty good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. what is this? Um, and I started sleeping really well, and I just realized that I needed to treat myself a certain way. And for me, that first unlock was food. There's a lot of other unlocks, which I think we'll probably get to in our conversation, but it was just this epiphany of if I want to be there and meet all the demands that are in my life, at least back then it was, I have to eat a certain way. I have to fuel myself a certain way. And that really set me on my journey. So I would say that was all in that like 2011 through 2013, 2014 time period. And I've, I've really built on that since.
1: I could absolutely relate to the food aspect. I think that's how I started my journey and being well and being more mindful. Like I was I learned through just eating more healthy, like eating greens, eating the meat that I was interested in eating, I was eating a little more consciously. I was like focused on the food, focused on the taste, focused on like the fact that this food is a blessing to my body. But it took a lot of experimentation. Like I talked to a lot of professionals. I I kind of experimented myself and figured out what was good for me. But the really interesting thing for me with food was it opened up the world of meditation for me. Until I started eating right, I also had all this mind chatter. I had all these things going off in my head. And when I you know, ate more clean, I, I, I did the keto diet, by the way. Um, when I ate more clean, I noticed that my mind was more at ease. Did you notice the same thing for you?
2: I'm nodding as you say that. I think, (laughs) well, because I think we have a lot of things that really affect our connection to ourselves and our ability to hear ourselves. And for people who haven't experienced this, this is when they roll their eyes and they're like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't know what she's talking about. But depending on your chemistry and, you know, your unique experience, cleaning up your diet can make you feel more connected. It can lower anxiety. It can make you just like you said, you felt a sense of calm for other people. It may be a different feeling, but for me, I embraced meditation, I guess about three or four years ago. And I think I needed that, Food on ramp. I don't know if I would have been as successful had I just started my journey with meditation. Some people are, and that's the thing. So when I when I talk about well being, I try to be respectful for everybody's different dynamics, right? So for some people, it's food. For some people, it's meditation. For some, it's sleep. For some, it's exercise. For some, it, you know, it might even be something more community driven. But yes, I absolutely can can relate to you saying you just felt like you had maybe more of a sense of inner calm that allowed the meditation to stick perhaps more than it would have otherwise.
0: One thing that I think about is just the relationship with food. That's something I've had a challenge with pretty much my entire life. I've done various diets at varying degrees of success, but I always found myself kind of reverting back to my original baseline. And that's something I've been working on for the past six months or so is trying to incorporate more healthy foods, eliminating things that I know just aren't good for my body at all. If anything, it's a a short boost of feel-good chemicals, but then Quite often it's like, why did I eat that? What would you have to say to those folks that are trying to develop that healthy mentality against food? How they they have to eat those healthy foods to feel better about themselves. And also, like, how do you get rid of some of that junk that people are accustomed to?
2: This is so hard because it's so unique. And I think some of the time we try to emulate people who are just wired differently from us, just bottom line, right? So in some ways, yeah, you have to say this set of habits isn't serving me and then figure out a way to modify those but just to give you an example i am i'm an abstainer i am not a moderator right so there's some people who are like oh but i, I just have 3 french fries <laughs> right? right i don't i personally am not someone with that option to have 3 like if i'm eating french fries <laughs> i want to eat french fries and i'm going to enjoy myself but there are some other people who are like if i just generally abstain i will go crazy and i will binge so you need to first figure out your wiring But there is something to be said for just trying something different for a finite period of time. So it might be like today, like literally today or for this one meal or for three days. But I think we have a way of putting way too much pressure on ourselves. We beat ourselves up when it doesn't work. So I think a great resource for this is um, Gretchen Rubin's book. It's called Better Than Before, and it's about habit change. And I remember, I love this book. There's probably like a handful of books that to me are books I would just like give out to people. But that is one where when you read it, you'll likely see yourself because what we'll do is we'll set up these dichotomies of like, well, you know, I was going to start today, but my friend had ice cream and I was at her house. So guess I'll start next week, Monday. (laughs) 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 you're like, but I can't possibly start until I buy new gym clothes. Right. right. I can't possibly start because I have this big like we always have something. So in some ways you have to start calling yourself out on some of that while also being self-compassionate. But to get to dig even even more into it, for some people, they just, you know, wake up, something happens, they change. But for many of us, there's going to be more of a triggering event. And I think for a lot of people, they will initially be very extrinsically driven, right? They're just like, I want my pants to fit better, or I want to be able to wear that dress. When I I know for me, a lot of the motivation stuck when I, it was intrinsic. So like I said, it was, if I want to be able to do the things I have to do today, (laughs) I will, I have to change these things. And that was more meaningful to me than like, you know, losing a couple of clothing sizes. So truly looking at your motivation, but then also, you know, not to become too like a therapist, which I'm not, like I said, I went to law school, but some of us have very deep, deep ties as to why we act the way we do. And so to some extent, you might want to start examining why is that? Like, what are my beliefs about food? Do I tie love to food? Do I tie reward to food? You know, so you have to start really reflecting on yourself, which I think for many people is like too tall of an order, right? It's like, man, (laughs) I just want to lose 10 pounds. I have to look that deep. But I think for many of us to make lasting change, the answer is, yeah, you, you do. You have to start getting curious about yourself.
0: It's so interesting that you're bringing up these different flavors for different folks because it's a lot like learning. We all sit in a classroom and you think we're all going to learn exactly the same when it's quite different, but also the same goes for food as well. Like you said, you're an abstainer, so you need to completely block out whatever it is that's that triggering food. But then you look at someone like Mark Sisson and he he says, oh, yeah, I'll have a couple bites of pizza. There is absolutely no way in the world that I'm just going to have a couple bites of pizza and call it good. That's just not a possibility.
2: Well, the fascinating thing is as your body changes and truly your microbiome and your gut and all these things, like your ability to play along the edges changes. So that's the other thing. We think we're static. So if you're just kind of recovering from a food you really, really like, yeah, maybe next week you've gone four days without it. Maybe you don't need to eat it next week. (laughs) <laughs> but perhaps when you have it in two months from now or three months from now, the way it makes you your body feel will be self-reinforcing. Like you will have enjoyed that pizza with your friends, but the next day you wake, wake up and you're like kind of foggy, kind of bloated, mm-hmm. just feel a little more anxious. Then you're like, oh, okay, that was good. I'm clearly going to have pizza again, but maybe I'm not going to have it right away for a little while. But you end up, you just end up learning about yourself on the journey and really realizing it is a journey. And by the way, I know I sound so cliche, but some of these cliches, like they're, they're true for a reason.
0: So what would you say is that next step for people? Because they need to kind of figure out how they deal with their food. They need to figure out what works for them. Because you have all these people following fad diets or celebrity diets and different things like that. What would you say is that good first step for people to take when it comes to food?
2: Well, I think for some people, it's trying to get in more of the good to help crowd out the bad versus just dropping something that they really love. As you guys know, I read a lot of books, and so this is top of mind for me right now, but I'm reading Oprah's new book with Dr. Bruce Perry called What Happened to You, and that book does this really thorough explanation of our brain. Essentially, we constantly try to engage with the like higher reasoning part of our brain, right, the cortex, but there's a sequence to how we process things in our brain, and before we get to the cortex, you have to go through all these emotional parts of the brain, and food is really, really emotional it's hard for me right now, and once again, armchair psychiatrist, you know not at all, <laughs> not at all a doctor, but i don 't just jump to logical reasoning because the lawyer in me is like highly logical. Give me the reasons we won 't even stop in the emotional parts of my brain, whatever they 're gone, but for most people, I, you will run straight into emotional reasons to stick with whatever so i 'm also a certified whole thirty coach, uh, just something I did for fun i don 't really actively coach, but I like being close to the organization. And a lot of people, you're like, all right, great. Here's what you're gonna do. The first thing I need you to do is stop drinking coffee. Do you know how many people are like, uh, that's a hard no? (laughs) (laughs) That is a hard, that is, I feel angry at the suggestion. And by the way, that is not a requirement of the whole thing. So don't get me wrong. But I bet you I could identify multiple things and every individual, they're like, that's a hard no whether it's it's coffee or it's diet soda or like you probably have some things that will cause you to emotionally shut down the minute it is mentioned and knowing that maybe you have to touch that like sacred cow one day is enough for you to not even want to get started So that's what I mean. Like you have to acknowledge there's so much emotion that you're running into before you can get to the logic. And so logically people jump to like, well, drink water, cut calories, make sure you're sleeping. Like there's a whole bunch of logical things. The bottom line is you can gain fitness a variety of ways, whether it's paleo, whether it's vegan, whether it's high carb, whether it's low carb. I certainly have my preferences, but I won't sit here and tell you like there's this one prescribed way. The way that works is the one that you'll actually do. And so for a lot of people, you know, eat more vegetables, right? That's going to crowd out some of the other stuff that, you know, maybe is not nutritionally dense and not optimal for you. Get hydrated. Most of us are pretty dehydrated. And when we do drink, it's something other than water. So there's definitely some staple things. I can get super wonky, but as you see, I hesitate to, because it triggers people like just being straight up. Like I, there's a lot of people who it will just shut down right away. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Don't try to take away my coffee. I'm like, I literally just <laughs> had a sip of it. <laughs> and, you know, one of my favorite books is Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And the first habit is be proactive. I think you're right about the logic thing, because when you're proactive, you know, you're not just addressing the problem, like lose five pounds. And that's more of the the end result. But being proactive about the problem is like, how are you going to get in front of it before? that trying time comes before you go to your friend's house and they have ice cream everywhere. And for me to get back into dieting, because, you know, like you were saying, you you have a streak, your microbiome changes, and maybe one week you don't like pizza, the next week you're kind of craving it. And you have to get back on the track. And for me to, to do that is when I started to get more and more into meditation. So before eating in the morning and before eating in the afternoon, I try to meditate a little bit. Just to like have all those random thoughts come up, pizza, ice cream, soda, all of that, and then just kind of get it out the way and then start my eating process. What is it like for you or anyone that you know to kind of get back on the track of being well?
2: I think it's realizing this is a journey. This is life stuff. There's no I got healthy right so i mean for for some people and also so i was an overweight kid like for a lot of people they're kind of shocked when they see pictures of me in like middle school high school and so i guess in a way like i could show you pictures of me like look i got healthy healthiness is done for me when no it's still a daily everyday thing that i realize i will be working on for the rest of my life and I think for some reason, many of us think of it as binary. Like I'm either unhealthy or I am healthy. No, it's just something that you do. It's small steps that you take. And I know for me, fundamentally, what happened however many years ago when a lot of this started to click for me was the deeper realization, and maybe not even in these words, of no one else is going to take care of me. No one. There. It is no one's job mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure that I am doing well. And this, this fundamental caring for myself, compassion for myself, truly love for myself. And once again, we're starting to sound real cliche here, but that's at the core of this. It's this understanding. And I've, I've said this before on, I can't even remember, I've been on a, a few other podcasts, but the cavalry is not coming. No one is coming. No one is coming to save you. No one is going to come and be like, you know, Ron, did you eat enough today? Did you sleep? Let me, let me set this alarm for you. And for some people that can be profoundly depressing, but for me, it's, it's really inspiring because it just shows the power that I have in my own life. And I do think a lot of us are kind of waiting, like we're waiting for permission. We're waiting for the job to be like, you should go take that vacation, right? Or for your job to say, oh, you should start working out now or for your parents or your wife or your friends. But we all know that's never going to happen. And so if I'm going to take care of myself, that's one thing thousand percent on me because no one is coming to save me.
1: I was hoping you and Chris would be helping me each step of the way. <laughs> 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 right, it's, unless
2: you want to pay someone you can try right.
0: to to pay
1: someone to save
2: you. But you get what I mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about like the journey of fitness the journey of health because someone could look at ron and look at his physique like hey man you're done you're one like why are you here in the gym you graduated you're that's it but it's a process for him it's something that centers him and he's continuing to move forward even though there might not be so many changes of his physique because he's built so much muscle, but he's going to continue to preserve the muscle that he's gained. When I look at your social media, you're doing some incredible movements, you're doing Pilates, you're hanging upside down, you're pushing yourself up and you make it look easy. But for a lot of folks, if they were to hop on some of them bars and try to do the movements you're doing, they could probably injure themselves. So tell us a little bit about that fitness journey. How did you get to where you are today? And why did you choose the workout that you chose to, to get there?
2: Okay. So as I said, I am not athletically inclined naturally, which yeah, maybe now someone will be like, I don't believe you, but I was not someone who played sports. I'm still not into sports. I don't particularly like running or sweating very much. But when I started... Practicing as a lawyer, I started going to a local bar studio. So for you know people who are familiar, like kind of ballet-based movements, that stuck. I, I enjoyed that. I would go a couple times a week, and I, I got pretty strong. And so ever since then, I've continued to try to find a way to move frequently. And that's increased over time, but it's definitely ebbed and flowed. For example, like I said, I've had two kids. So while pregnant, postpartum, that stuff would drop off for me a lot. But what I've found is I do enjoy being connected to my body. I've embraced that feeling of not understanding things. So it's also somewhat frequent that I will still try new stuff physically and do that like awkward. I don't know what's going on. And so right now for me, that's actually, it's body pump, which is something that's been around forever. (laughs) And I'm just doing it in my house. And it's something you might see at like rec centers, but I, I'm not used to barbell work. That is an awkward place for me to be. But overall, I also, sorry, everyone's going to learn about my own sort of like existential fears, which are actually very real, but I recognize that I'm getting older. So I'm closing in on 40. I watched my grandparents age. I've watched my parents age. And it's really, really important to me that I maintain my mobility and my ability to get around. And so the fun stuff of like working on a handstand or doing whatever, that's cool. I like that stuff too. But ultimately like I'm training for old age. Mm. because I truly believe, and not even believe, I know the body is use it or lose it. And I have felt that. I've felt what happens when you know the world shut down because of the pandemic and I didn't meaningfully work out for a few months other than some walks. And I went back to my local Pilates studio and I was sore, like I could barely walk for like a week after just going to one class, which in some ways is a testament to the fitness that I had. But it also shows, and I think we've all experienced this when you're younger, you can do all this crazy stuff which by the way it's cuz you're like awash in human growth hormone so like my 7 and 10 year old they can do crazy stuff and they're fine that if i did that the next day i'm like i cannot move guys like i <laughs> i am immobile <laughs> and but for some reason you forget that your body is changing as you get older And so there really is this need to keep, like maintain your mobility, to put your muscles under tension, you know, to do something cardiovascularly. And so for me, a lot of the things I actually do are quite gentle. So I recently got a WHOOP strap. It's one of those fitness trackers. And I was using it to see, you know, what I do at Pilates. And WHOOP is kind of like, congrats on your gentle movement. Like, this is this has been a very restorative activity you've done. And I was like, man, I really thought I pushed myself more than that. But ultimately, I, those are the things that I enjoy are the things that tend to be a bit more based on... Stretching, yeah, there's a little bit of strength, but that's my baseline. The challenge for me tends to be incorporating things that are more demanding. So lifting something heavy or truly breaking a sweat is actually where I have to push myself. But I just can't reiterate enough, I'm training for life. It's because when my kids are... 30, you know, and I'm in my 60s, closing in on my 70s, I want to be able to go on vacations with them, right, and climb massive sets of stairs with them on vacations, hopefully that they can pay for. <laughs> so that's why uh, that is so important to me.
1: You know, I think that there's something powerful about you being an avid reader and also training for life, because it's a journey. It's, it's all about consistency. And that's one of my superpowers. One of my friends always talks about, Ron, you know, you have the podcast, you work out. How do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I just always have been doing it. It's all about just showing up, you know, whether you have like an awesome workout or you have an awesome streak on your diet, just continue to try it because it's all about the attempt and the fact that you're consistent. What is something that you're looking forward to being consistent about next? You know, you have all of these things going on. What are you looking forward to next?
2: Well during the pandemic what's actually been a challenge to me is doing all the main things at the same time. So and and to me don't get me wrong me being sort of off kilter would be someone's like amazing day but you know each of us is different but for me you know the world shut down so it was really hard for me to get movement and I would I would go on long walks I was like all right that's good And then when I was able to get the movement, maybe the diet slips a little bit, or maybe my sleep isn't as great. I preach a lot about self-compassion, so I'm by no means beating myself up about that. Like I was adapting the best that I could, but I'm looking forward to hopefully returning to where I'm moving. And I'm eating pretty well and I'm doing all the things at the same time. Cause I think we all know, you know, if you pick like the main staples of life, you're like, work is growing great, but I'm barely exercising (laughs) or exercise is wonderful, but my sleep is taking a hit. I like being a place where I'm touching on most of those things most of the time. That's ideal for me and maybe a bit unrealistic, but I like chasing that dream. And then, Ron, I do wanna circle back to something you said about consistency. That is so, so, so important. If someone just did, let's say, like five or 10 pushups a day, for 40 years. Do you know how powerful that would be in life? Like, how many 75 or 80 year olds do you know that could do 10 push ups? No. Probably not that many, yeah. right? But it's not because the human body is unable to at that age, it's because for many people, they haven't even done it for 25 years. So I think a lot of us get caught up in this, like, I have to maximize, like, okay, if I'm going to run, I need to run a marathon, right? And you're like, but do you really? Like, what if it was just a mile? What if it was a mile every day for the next 30 years? And so I tend to focus on my fitness more like that, where I'm like, if I could just get to a Pilates class or get on a walk or do my 10 pushups, that's my goal is to set it for the next 30 years. And so I actually don't like doing activities that I don't think I could do for that long. um, that, and that makes me maybe seem a little bit boring. And I, you know, I do fun stuff now and then, but that's really how I, I look at my workout. And at my Pilates studio, for example, there are people in there who are 70 years old plus. And I look at them and I'm like, yes, you are my role model. I'm going to be like you when I grow up. And so that's really how I conceive of the physical fitness side of things.
0: There's so many benefits to just being healthy, so many performance benefits. There's so many things across someone's life that has to deal with their mobility, has to deal with their mental capacity. There's so much that just goes into being healthy. And I wanted to ask, you know, obviously if someone's going to make a change, please talk to a doctor, whether you're going to change your diet or you're going to change what you're doing physically, uh, just to make sure you're doing it in a very safe way. But if you had some advice for someone that wanted to kind of right the ship and be the best that they could from a health perspective, what would that piece of advice be?
2: It's monitoring your negative self-talk. It's getting curious as to how you speak to yourself first. So I know I was supposed to tell you to like buy some running shoes or to you know watch your macros, but truly it's the voice in your head. And some of this gets to that mindfulness meditation. But if you can pay attention to how you speak to yourself, for me, my own meditation journeys made me really aware of this, but a lot of us have this negative voice in your head. I will tell you that voice likely isn't you. It was put there by life, by other people. But that voice is what is either causing many of us to sort of want to hate ourselves healthy. Like I want to get healthy because I hate who I am right now right? But can you imagine if you were like raising a child, trying to like hate them into being smart, right? Like that's not how we as humans work. And same thing, I think with your fitness journey, doing these things, because yeah, you know, you're like, maybe I want to change my physical form ultimately, but can you love yourself now? Once again, I I can't help it. I'm spouting cliches, but can you do this out of a sense of like, I'm taking care of myself out of, I I care about me versus I'm going to run because I despise who I am. And so I think when you Work on your fitness out of a place of self loathing, which means you identify unhealthy behaviors with love, right? Running is me hating myself, but ice cream, oh, it's because I love myself you have to really examine the narratives you have and the way you speak to yourself. And so that's why I think a mindfulness practice can be really helpful. But for a lot of us, it's that voice inside of our head. For a lot of us, we've decided that fitness is gonna make us happy. Once we arrive at that goal weight on the scale, suddenly I will be happy. Suddenly the voice inside of me will be nice to me. And you know, spoiler alert, that is not how it works. Work on that voice first, work on that voice while you're on your journey. But this idea that we can just loathe ourselves into greatness is not how it happens.
0: Alexis, thank you so much for hopping on the mics and having this incredible conversation with us. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things you have going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that?
2: Sure. The two best ways are LinkedIn. That's where you'll get more of the diversity and inclusion, although I definitely weave health and well-being into my LinkedIn posts as well. And then, yeah, if you want to see, I guess, some of this Pilates stuff that Chris and Ron have talked about, find me on Instagram, Alexis underscore Robertson. And thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun.
1: Yes. We will be sure to drop your LinkedIn and Instagram in the show notes. Really appreciated. And I would encourage anyone that wants to meet you To also check out our mastermind. We meet up once a month. We talk about our challenges that we're going to overcome and just life in general. Alexis, it's been so great to talk and we'll see everyone next time.
0: If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.